0: your pain. Don't you know that's not your name. You will always be much more to me. And every day I rest with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's all right. Cause I hear a voice and he calls
1: me redeemed. We never say I'll never be enough. Greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world Oh, in the world yeah, in the world Oh, and greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living
0: in the world Bring your doubts Bring your fears, bring your hurt, bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake. Well, that's
1: okay, because I hear a voice and He calls me say I'll never be enough. the greater is the One living inside of me than He who is living in the world. Oh, in the world.
0: There'll be days I lose a battle Grace says that it doesn't matter Cause the cross has already won the war Oh, and I am learning to run freely Understanding just how He sees me And it makes me love Him more and more Oh, and there'll be days I lose a battle Grace says that it doesn't matter Cause the cross has already won the war Oh, I am learning to run freely understanding just how He sees me and it makes me love Him more and more when I hear a voice and He calls me redeemed when others say I'll never be enough the greater is the one living Oh, and I am learning to run freely, understanding just how He sees me, and it makes me love Him more more.
2: <laughs> I love that song. I just envisioned 125, 150 homes singing that just now. I hope that you did that. Welcome to Carpenter's Way, those in the room, those at home. Uh, I... I got an email from somebody in Africa who's been watching with people, and we just want to greet you if you've, uh, man, all the way from Africa, it, uh, thank you for watching. It means a lot. I'll be emailing you back tomorrow. We've got people in Madagascar, and we've got people in Brazil that have been watching, and even people in East Texas. So uh, we, we love you, even if you're sitting at home or you're watching on your computer or your iPhone. And those of you in the room, it is great to see Different folks coming in each week, and and uh, welcome back if you haven't been keeping up with what we're doing. Every other week, we're we're trying to rotate Bible study groups. All of our Bible studies every other week. If you don't have a Bible study or you're visiting, you just come on in and we'll we'll greet you and meet you and 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 we would just love to have you in here. We are in a study right now of the life of Jesus. We're in week sixty-six. It's taken us a minute to get through all the way to there, but this morning we are at the crucifixion, and we are going to jump right in there. That song we just sang isn't just a fun song, but it's true. Uh, The fact that Jesus took our sin in his body on the cross means that even though we struggle with sin, even though our flesh is drawn to it, we are redeemed. We are forgiven, and that that is a blessing. And so we hope you're encouraged with that. It doesn't matter. I know that there's a lot going on in your life. Man, you take corona, you add to it uh, school starting, trying to decide if your kids are going on campus or staying home, and if they're staying home, you're trying to figure out how you're going to watch them. Hey, it's a crazy time, but one thing's consistent, and that is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So put your hope in him. Thank you for joining us. Is Ali- oh, there's Miss Alicia. Um, this, uh, we- I want to introduce you to somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. This is Alicia and She runs our children's ministry. Don't get too close. Because you've had corona all I'll tell you a miracle. You have had corona all over you, and you haven't gotten it. It is a, uh, they can't hear you, but it is a big miracle. Alicia has some announcements for you. Look, we are still doing ministry, even though you haven't been at the building, or if you have, we're still doing ministry. And Alicia, I, I've been talking a lot about what Jeff has been doing with our, our, our digital stuff, but Alicia and her team has absolutely rocked it. Uh, They have kept the ministry going, and I hope and we hope that you've been taking advantage of the videos that they have been making for you. It was our goal through this from the very beginning to enable you to disciple your kids, which I think sometimes, and we've talked about this a little bit, sometimes the church has taken that out of your hands. It's done so effectively that uh, we hope that over the past few months and in the coming months, you'll continue to do that because that has been our passion is to enable you to not just grow in your own walk with God in this weird season, but also your kids and your family disciple them. So with that being said, I asked Alicia to come up and make some announcements to you, so exciting things that are coming up. So Alicia?
3: Well, good morning. Uh, As you came in, for those of you that are worshiping with us here, present with us, you probably noticed all those gift bags. Well, we do have a surprise. So parents, we do have a surprise for your child every child miss casey and i my girls we made a, a just a back to school blessing bag we made a goodie bag for every infant all the way through fifth grade so we will make deliveries this week we want to make a home delivery pray with your kids everyone has a little card like this that says you are our star we know they're rising up into the next grade you know we typically make a big deal about promotion sunday and a big hoopla and this and that but So we're doing kind of a party in a bag, I guess you can say, Uh, but it's a note, there's a note, it's from Miss Casey, who is my assistant, and then my Bible study coordinators, uh, Megan Brevard, who oversees our preschool Bible study, and Amanda Hilliard, who oversees our children's Bible studies, and it just says, God has great plans for you as you rise up into your new class slash grade this year. And we have Joshua 1-9, just a reminder for kids to uh, not to be afraid or discouraged, For God will be with them wherever they go. So just a little note that we miss them and a word of encouragement from the Lord from the Bible. That's so important to us to reach out to your kids in that way in a tangible way. I know we've done lots of video and digital ways, but tangible ways we wanted to get into your kids' hands. Now, my fifth graders, we... If you're not aware of this, we do make a big deal about our fifth graders promoting into the youth group. We typically have a huge water slide I run, and we have a big luau, and games, and food, and snow cones, all kinds of stuff. Well, my special fifth graders, we haven't forgotten about you either. We've got a special gift bag for y'all that we Miss Heather A. Bear, one of my team kid teachers, we're going to make home. Uh, deliveries this afternoon. We've got gift cards. We've got silly string. Yeah, we also has, have a tradition of silly stringing our fifth graders. So, moms or dads, you get to silly string your own fifth grader this year. So, all that's in the bag. We just want to remind you that we miss you. We love your kids. We care about them. We have not forgotten about them. And we have a special gift just for them that we'll be making deliveries this week. So, that's all I've got. Don't
2: leave. I'm going to have you pray. Okay, okay, so before before we pray, I just, I want to tell on her family a little bit. Just like with you, tons has been going on during this past, has it been six months? Like March? Oh, April, like March? It's, okay. oh, the Bonin family, uh, we are bubble wrapping them, we've decided, because over the past, it's been a year and a half with Gracie having the concussions and Rachel that we're trying to figure out how to get her into pro soccer and she's been having injuries uh, back stuff going on and then this two weeks ago they had a car accident their, their van was totaled and it's just been I, I, and three kids in your house had COVID two uh, two were your own and one was one you adopted and uh, so we need to pray for each other remember during the season it isn't just COVID there is a ton going on and you're still standing yes. we've only found you dribbling in the corner twice but remember to pray for each other in all of that. And look, I, I, I gotta give, I've got to give props. I, I don't know. You have been here 20 years, right? Are you going on 20? This December, this December will be 20 years. 20 years, Jeff and Alicia have been leading the student and children ministry of Carpenter's Way. And rumor is that they've been sleeping together too, which is okay because they're married. I'm going to get a text about that. It's Jeff at CWPC. But in any case, they do such a great job. But life goes on during this season, and it's been especially difficult for them. And uh, it's just as it has been for you guys, but they're vertical and they're serving. And to watch the children's ministry and the student ministry reaching out, it's been weird because actually we've been working, I I would argue, harder than we normally do through this season for the creativity that has come out, to try to stay in touch with you all, to minister, to to be calling you so you're not alone. And uh, we love you. We love ministering to you. We love ministering with you, and it is a privilege to do life with you. And boy, have you done life the last couple the last couple years! So be praying for the Bonnins as you pray for others. It looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. They're coming out. We we're not sure if it's a train yet, but but we we do. (laughs) This is the kind of encouragement I am. But I am going to ask Alicia because your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, they're all going back to school soon, and. Every parent, what you feel, the angst you feel is what we feel all the time about ministry. There are no wrong answers. Give each other grace. Whether a kid goes to school, stays home, goes on campus, whether you're in this room or watching at home, whether a church, and we've got churches that are going and blowing every week, trying to reopen everything. We're all just trying to figure this out, and we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to be prayerful for each other and support each other and not be critical. Boy, is it easy to be critical right now. It just seems like Facebook has become a place where you just vomit every thought. Could you wait 24 hours before you post? Just, just pray about it. But in, as you're praying, would you pray for the people that frustrate you that you think are doing wrong? Because God, God's leading us, you guys, and there's so many good things going on as well and uh, we love you. We love you who are in this room. I always feel like sometimes I forget to tell you how glad we are you're in this room because I'm talking to the people at home, but uh, we just want you to know we miss you and love you. If you need anything from children's ministry to student ministry to adults, please let us know. We're here for you, and and we love you. I'm going to ask Alicia to pray for our, our parents and our educators. What do you call that, education administration? Because it involves. People working in food, in the food department and bus drivers and all that. It's not just teachers. And it's a little scary for everybody. And uh, so would you just pray for them as they go back?
3: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you uh, just laying our expectations down of what this next school year is going to look like or what we think in our brain it should look like. Father, we know that your word says that we can make our plans, but you order our steps. And so I just pray that... That your will be done this year um, we can do the hard things God you've equipped us because you've left us with your Holy Spirit to empower us to encourage us father I just pray that that spirit would shine through the cracks in these broken vessels God that you would just help each parent each student um, fathers are making decisions and doing it afraid more than likely or a little anxious or a little nervous. But, Father, we just pray for your strength and for your power just to be seen in us. And, Father, that that would bring um, great peace to our hearts and our minds because your word says that you will guard our hearts and minds when we pray about everything and give you thanks. So that's what we do. We lay this year before you, Father. We just pray for administrators on every campus, on every level, every district. Father, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them clarity of thought, that you would give them a peaceful heart, a peaceful mind, as they are, are have already been working so hard. Father, that they would be your hands and feet. Father, if they don't know you, that this would be the year that they would come to know you, or that they would renew their relationship with you that may have fallen by the wayside. Father, every bus driver, every janitor, every secretary, every teacher, every aide, every para, every groundskeeper, everyone that's on those campuses, may they be your hands and your feet this year. And may we, in return, have the attitude of serving those who serve us so well. So, Father, we just give you this day, Uh, As Hudson starts back, many districts, Lufkin, the next week, so many. um, Father, that you would go before us and behind us, and you surround us. What an encouraging thought. God, we just, you're so worthy. And because of that, we praise you. We lift you up. We give you our kids. We just say thank you in advance for what you're going to do, how you've worked, how you've been faithful in the past what you're going to do in the future. Father, we know you have good things planned for us because your word says, even though it may be walking through a valley of a shadow of death, Father, you would comfort those that have lost loved ones because of COVID or varying health issues. Father, you are a great comforter. And so you would draw them near today that they would feel you uh, in a way like maybe they never have before. And so, Father, um, again, we just love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We ask and we pray these things. Amen.
0: If you're in the room, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're there at home, we uh, definitely invite you to join in. Don't just be a spectator, keep going with us this morning. sin and all our shame, you took the nails, you took our place, and no one else could do what you have done, one name, one name is higher, one name is true. Brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. Who oh, you're reigning now, the Savior of the world, and one name is higher. One name. Stronger than any grave, than any throne, Christ exalted over all. And the only Savior, Jesus, Messiah, to you alone our praise belongs exalted over all. we'll sing your praise we'll sing your praise we'll sing your praise forever we lift your name we lift your name Jesus over all. we'll sing your praise we'll sing your praise we'll sing your praise forever we lift your name we lift your name jesus over one name is higher one name is strong only Savior, Jesus Messiah. To you alone our praise belongs, Christ exalted over all. To you alone our praise To you alone, our praise belongs, and Christ exalted over all.
3: my people, trust in him at all times, pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge.
0: How you've given me your righteousness and holiness instead. Oh, I am overwhelmed and I'm amazed. I cannot help but see your yes, My sins are held against me. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, He's my victor. He's my King. And praise the Lord. Victor is my king and praise the Lord. finds rest in God alone, salvation comes from Him. He is my rock, my fortress, I shall not be shaken.
1: Bye. soul could see your face and stay the same. What love is this that lays aside his splendor? What God is this that gives himself? Oh.
2: Uh, let's take a moment and pray. Uh, whether you're in this room or you're home right now, would you just quiet your hearts for a second? Would you just talk to the Lord? Ask him. Ask him to to speak to you. As you as you listen to His Word. Ask him to limit distractions. As we answer the question. Worthy of what? And what makes you worthy? Lord Jesus, uh, I understand that uh, I have a tongue that's often out of control, words that are often unmeasured. Do not let me be a distraction from the story that we're about to look at today. Because compared to this story, everything else is just a doctrinal debate. We get so distracted, Father, on how we program the church, how often we meet, when we meet, what we sing when we gather. We want to sit around and debate how you saved us, how much free will is involved or how much sovereignty. We divide over that foolishness and it's so satanic because all that matters is what we're about to look at together today. Your love your humility, your ministry to us. And so now, Father, may the words of man fade away so that the words of God will endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John 19, 13 says that Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement. In Hebrew, it's gebatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for Passover. Most likely the best translation of the Greek here, uh, the Greek actually says it was the sixth hour. Uh, by Roman reckoning of time, that would have been six o'clock in the morning. And when you look at the other Gospels in the context, while the New Living Translation says that this takes place about noon, it is most likely about six o'clock in the morning. Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Now we've got to pause here for a second because what I'm going to do this morning as we go through the story of the crucifixion, as we look look at the crucifixion, we are going to be jumping all over all four Gospels. We're going to be taking a piece here, a verse here. And we t- I tried to put them together so that you could hear the story in context and as the day appears to have been laid out. But as we do that, I'm going to point out some things. And one of those is what the leading priests just yelled. We have no king but Caesar. These priests not only chose and forced the crowd, encouraged the crowd to let a murderer go and then to kill Jesus, but now they're saying that they want a Roman king over God. They know exactly what they're saying. We have no king but Caesar. And to be clear, this isn't the first time they do that. In fact, uh, when we were studying the Old Testament recently, you will remember that they did the exact same thing when they chose King Saul over Jehovah. They were warned in no uncertain terms, by Samuel not to take a human king. And Samuel was bewildered because they kept asking for a man. They wanted a man to rule them. And they even, Samuel even went to them and warned them that if you take Saul, you're going to, your women are going to be enslaved, you're going to pay taxes, your men are going to go off to war, you're not going to have your own property. And they said, even if those things are true, we want Saul. They do it again here. The fact remains that people do not change without the power of the Holy Spirit changing them. More on that in our next study of Acts, which will probably start in about five weeks. Believe it or not, we are almost done with our study of Jesus. Of course, we'll never be uh, done with our study of Jesus. But about four or five weeks, we're going to move on to Acts. It's going to smoothly transition. And you're going to see why Jesus leaves us physically and why he sends the Holy Spirit. Because it is only the power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. The clock and technology changes, but people do not. In Mark 15, verse 15, it tells us that the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him, and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick and spit on him. And then they dropped to their knees and mocked him in worship. A flogging, as you are probably aware, was a brutal and always preceded a brutal act against those that were going to be persecuted and those that were being punished. It always preceded crucifixion, and in many cases the guilty would die just because of the beating alone. They never even made it to the cross. The the beating took place with a small whip that was leather with small pieces of bone and glass studded into it. The purpose of that was that they would rip, it would literally grab into the skin and it would rip skin off. And by the time the person had been done being whipped, his chest would be bare and and he would have a skirt of skin laying around his, uh, his body. From the other Gospels, we learn that Pilate, who believed Jesus to be innocent, was hoping that this cruel event would appease the crowd and that they would see Jesus having beaten and they would just relent of their call for Him to be crucified, but it doesn't. In Mark 15, 20, it tells us when they were finally tired of mocking Him. (laughs) Take that hymn. Think about that. Why did they stop mocking Him and beating Him? Not because they had reached some level of justice, but because they were tired of doing it. They were wore out. They took off the purple robe and put on his clothes on him again, and they led him to be crucified. Luke 23, 26 tells us that as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross or Probably more accurately, the beam of the cross. So what's on his shoulders is a beam. Probably not dragging a full cross. Uh, they would have lifted him up and mounted him on or that beam. So Simon, a Cyrene, carries the beam behind Jesus. Verse 27 tells us that a large cra- a trail or crowd trailed behind him, including and pay attention here including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, to the women who were mourning his, about, his soon-to-be crucifixion, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains to fall on us. And Plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what is going to happen when it's dry? Jesus was still warning people. While carrying the crossbar, while being, after being beaten, while bleeding out, Jesus stops as He's walking to Golgotha, and He stops and He warns these women that are mourning for Him. In excruciating pain, he is still leading and ministering to the flock that was in his Israel. He is telling these women that while they are crying for his circumstances, his pain, his unjust treatment, that the reasons behind the treatment of him would end up destroying all that they loved, all that they clung to. That if this is how they act while God's Messiah is with them, It will be even worse for them when he's gone. He is warning those who are hurting him, those who are hurting with him. Now now pay attention, this is important. These women seem to be on his team. They seem to care for him. In that group are the Marys and Martha. These are people who love him. The women... And he turns to them and doesn't tell them that they're going to be protected from the pain that resulted from the sin that was going on in this time and the rejection of God. But they should weep for themselves because it was going to get nasty. That is super important for us today because you have to understand that since Adam and Eve um, introduced sin into the human condition, into our DNA, we are not released from the pain of sin in this life. We are released from the pain of sin in the next. And we will experience trauma because of the way of the world. If our government is unjust in her dealings, we as Christians are not protected from that injustice. If our government is not gracious, if it it aborts, continues to be immoral in its behavior and legalisms, we also feel wickedness. Unfortunately, because we are living in a sinful world, just like these women they would experience this pain, and Jesus tells them to even weep for themselves. I, I, I need to say, I need to remind you of something, and I've said this before, because it is so important that you get this. The nation of Israel today, because I think the church convolutes our relationship with the Hebraic people. While the scripture says, I will bless those who bless my people, you must remember that still to this day, the Jewish nation is in an abjunct rebellion against God himself. They have not bowed the knee. To this day, the Jewish nation seeks a human answer, to a, uh, a national answer to a spiritual crisis that they have. God made promises to this people and nation that he will keep. In fact, I'd like to remind you of them from 2 Chronicles 7. And you're going to hear again a verse that is constantly take, taken out of context. But this is a specific con- uh, promise to the Jewish people, including those that are killing Jesus, including the people today that lead Israel. At the dedication of the temple under Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 12, it tells us that one night the Lord appeared to Solomon, the king who had just had the temple built. And he said, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this temple as the place of making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or I might command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. But then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place." For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you faithfully follow me as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish your throne of of your dynasty. For I made this covenant with your father David when I said one of your descendants will always rule over Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me, And disobey the decrees and commands I have given you. And if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I've given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to his temple? And the answer will be, pay attention, because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt, and they worshipped other gods instead uh, instead and bowed down to them. That is why he brought all of these disasters upon them. Why is the nation of Israel rejecting her Messiah? Why to this day is the nation still a mess? because they still don't bow the knee to God. They still are looking for a human answer to a spiritual question. And it is really, really important at this point that you understand that God hasn't made that same promise to the United States of America. This is a specific promise to a specific people that to this day will be honored if they will simply bow the knee. That is very, very important. Because as they say, we have no king but Caesar, you are understanding why that nation is a mess and why Jesus warns the women who are mourning for him that what's to come is way worse than what is happening. That, it, they are, that, that even, even the men will cry that the mountains fall on them that those who have children will wish they wouldn't have had children. And it's 70 A.D. the temple falls, and the nation is scattered. And until the 1900s, they were still scattered. But even to this day, even this week, they are trying by human terms to set up peace with the nations around. There will be no peace until the peacemaker sits on the throne of Israel. And, and he will not come until they bow the knee. But they will. They will bow the knee. Matthew 27, So they went out to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The, so, the soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall. But when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. Now you might think that the reason he refused to drink it is because it was bitter, but that's not actually the reason. This is a weird piece of information when we're looking at a guy being crucified, a guy who's been whipped within an inch of his life. But the fact is, this is a very important piece of information. Because when you realize that Jesus was not just riding out this event like a person in a horror movie who covers their eyes, waiting for the two hours to be up, Jesus is in control of this. He was at work. He was on task. He was not done yet doing what he had come to do. It was not time for him to release his, his mental faculties to a tranquilizer, which is what they were offering him. You see, that alcohol, that fermented grape juice... That vinegar would have eased his pain, but it also would have released some of his ability to think clearly. You'll see that in a moment. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. When they sat around and kept guard guard as he hung there, a sign was fashioned above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the leading priest in John 19, it tells us, objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I've written. Luke 23, two others, both criminals who were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Mark 15, 31, the leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they said, but he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we can see it, and then we'll believe him, they said. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. Luke 23, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? I just want want you to note something. This is very important. Everybody identifies what Jesus' claims were about himself. Everybody. This whole study we've done, that we're almost done with, that'll take us about 70 weeks when we're done, answered one question. Who is this man according to Scripture? Not according to Baptist doctrine, or Mormon doctrine, or Jehovah's Witness doctrine, or my doctrine, or yours, but who does the Scripture say this man Jesus is? And that's been our study. Well, one of the things that I think we don't do very well in the church is look at look at what others said he said about himself. But throughout this, you have the Romans saying he said he's the king of the Jews. You have the Jews claiming that. You even have them mocking him, saying you think you're the Messiah. Well, come off the cross. Show another supernatural act. There is nobody watching this event who didn't believe that Jesus claims about himself were a Messianic claim, were a God claim. In fact, I want to remind you of the trial where... Uh, when Jesus finally said that he would be sitting at the right hand of the Father, they understood him claiming to be God. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, let me be clear, your theology is not biblical. Jesus claimed not only to be the sent one of God, but to be God himself. And that is a clear reading of Scripture, not just John chapter 1 that's been changed by those who changed your Bible, but throughout all of his teaching. He says if you've seen me you've seen the father i and my father are one the trinity is seen throughout for those of you who don't believe in the trinity the doctrine of a trinity is a biblical doctrine if you don't believe in the trinity it's because you haven't simply read it it's all over this and everybody watching this not just the women mourning for him but those who hate him are scoffing at him because he's the one who claimed to be God. He's the one who claimed to be the Messiah. He's the one who claimed to be the king of the Jews, to be establishing a kingdom. He talked about my kingdom, my Father's kingdom, our kingdom. He said it over and over again. And that is what is so significant about the sign above his head. We too often seed the ground, evangelicals, to people because we don't know why we believe what we believe. And what you should, what you believe should only be from the scriptures. Read them for yourself. Verse 23. Make sure I'm at the right place, 2339. Uh, so I think I messed up. So let me start at John 19:21. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews. He said, No. I am the king to, I, He said, "I am the King of the Jews." Pilate replied, "No, what I have written, I've written." Two other criminals were taken out. Jesus cries out, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm skimming forward. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law mock Jesus. He saved others. He can't save himself. They tell him to come down from the cross, then they will believe him. Even the men who are crucified with him are ridiculing him. Again, twenty-three, thirty-nine of the book of Luke, one of the criminals hanging beside saw Scott, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die, he asked? We deserve to die for our crimes, this man, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then Jesus said to him, or then the criminal said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him, on the cross, bleeding out, in excruciating pain. And he says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Still working. That's why he didn't drink the alcohol. It's not that he was against alcohol. Jesus drank a lot. The reason he didn't drink the alcoholic beverage was because it was a tranquilizer. And his work wasn't done. Don't worry, I'll get to the end of this in a few moments. Wait till you see it. But Jesus was working on the cross. He wasn't writing it out. He wasn't the victim of some eternal Trinitarian plan. He was running the Trinitarian plan. And as he's hanging on the cross, he even redeems a man. He saves a man. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And if I haven't offended you already, let me be clear. This man did not walk an aisle. This man was not baptized on the cross. This man did not pray the sinner's prayer. He just looked at Jesus and said, Surely, you God, don't forget me. Remember me. He cried out to him. And Jesus saved him. You can be saved right now, no matter who you are, what you've done, how close you are to death. Or even where you may find yourself this morning, whether it's in a ski boat, in this room, in your bed, in a hospital, you can be saved right now. There's not a magic set of words, there's not a magic behavior to our friends who believe that you must be baptized in water to be saved. This stands in the face of that. People have said to me in the past when I've said that, yeah, well, he's Jesus, he can save anyone. Think about it. He saves everyone. He's the only way a person is saved. I'm not against baptism. I'm for baptism. But it has nothing to do with salvation. It's a public declaration of what's happened spiritually inside. Jesus dying on the cross is still saving folks. And He wants to save you today. John 19, verse 23 says that when the soldiers had crucified Jesus... They divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among them and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Now, again, kind of cool. We love prophecy. But let me again point out the obvious. Jesus is in complete control of this every minute of his death. Not just on this day, but a thousand years before when David wrote that. This wasn't a moment in time. This was a plan from before the world had formed. And the prophecy that's being quoted here is a prophetic statement from David, king of Israel. Jesus wasn't just in charge of events that day. He had already ordained them before the world was formed and talked about them a thousand years before his birth. And for my brothers and sisters who believe in the sovereignty of God but not the control of every detail of life, I want to be as clear as I can. Jesus was not only in control of every detail of this good and terrible Friday, he was absolutely in command of this terrible, wonderful day. Things may look chaotic and out of control. God is in control. Verse 25, standing at the cross, near the cross, were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, and let, let me point this out, Jesus is hanging on the cross looking around? He's identifying people on the ground while he's dying. He says to John, it says, the disciple he loved, and he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. You know. Mary was prophesied eight days after the birth of Jesus that his life would pierce her soul. She watched her son be murdered, ridiculed, lied about, beaten. That wasn't going to be, she would not be protected from that. The crucifixion was not going to be stopped because she hurt, but he still provided for her needs. Right now no matter where you are as a parent with your kids in education or a grandparent, where you are physiologically, where you are emotionally, no matter where you are in the world, it is a crazy season. We all know that. He may not take this virus away or the thing that's scaring you, but he will provide your needs. We have now seen this in the last two messages where Jesus prayed that the Father would remove this cup of pain he was going to endure, but instead... God sends an angel, the Father sends an angel to minister to him. While Mary probably prayed that her son would be spared, they don't spare her. him. Instead, he sends a person to minister to her. You may not get what you want from the Father, but he will provide your needs. Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabbathani, Which means, my God, my God, why have even you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. While Matthew doesn't say when the crucifixion began, Mark records that it began about 9 o'clock in the morning. Hanging on the cross, we believe, took about six hours for Jesus from beginning to end. The first three hours he hangs there in a normal crucifixion fast, Being mocked, interacting, saving the guy on the cross. But at noon, three hours into the crucifixion, things start getting weird. Creation itself begins to cry out as Jesus carries his sin, our sin, in his body on the tree. For three hours, Jesus endures the aloneness of the cross. And at three in the afternoon, it appears to become almost too much for him to bear. And he cries out to the Father. Father, why have even you abandoned me? You see, it's not just his murder that he endured or mocking. It was that he took on our broken relationship with the Trinity, and for a few hours of eternity, and I can't explain it, they seemed to be separated. Now, the Trinity still existed. I can't explain it, but he cried out and said, Why have even you turned your back on me? The answer is for the same reason that you can't have fellowship with God unless your sin is removed. God can't have fellowship with sin. And Jesus was carrying the sin of the world on His shoulders. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.12 that He became the sinfulness of man so that man could become the righteousness of God. And at that moment, and for at least three hours, He bore our sin in His body on the tree. And even the Father looked away. And I don't believe that He looked away for a moment. I believe that it was three hours that the Father had turned His back on the Son. And during those agonizing three hours, Jesus endured it. Until the end when He cried out and, and and said, I'm alone, I'm really, really alone. And I want to remind you, if you feel alone, if you're single, if you're not married, if your husband or wife is not what they should be, if you feel alone, your Savior has felt that. If you feel alone in your sin, that's why He took your aloneness. He even took that on the cross. And I want to tell you that this is kind of a weird, there's some weird phraseology in the Greek here. But it does not say that a great storm arose in the Greek. It said that the sun ceased to shine. I have no idea what that means. Maybe it was an eclipse. That's what some people say. Maybe. I don't know. All I know is the creation is acting out. And I want to remind you that Jesus, while he was in his ministry phase, told the disciples that if people stop worshiping, even creation itself will react. And when the Father turns away from the Son, it is very possible that creation itself, that Hebrews tells us, He holds together with His hands, are reacting to the fact that God is dying. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, John 19 tells us in verse 28 that Jesus now knew that His mission was finished. Remember I told you He was on task? And I connected it to why he didn't drink it at the beginning. Well, watch this. To fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine that is uh, bad alcohol, it's uh, vinegar that's alcoholic. What was the purpose of it? Not to taunt the man, but to ease pain. It's a tranquilizer. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it hyssop on a hyssop branch, held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It's finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He wasn't going to drink till it was over. This isn't a refreshing drink. It was about it was about my work is done. This pain is over. I'm taking that drink. He even asked for it here. It was over. He'd accomplished his task. His work was done. He could now drink the tranquilizer that would dull his pain. And as he did, he declares that his work had been finished because once again he was in complete control of this horrible, wonderful event as he gave up his life as his own free will. Matthew 27, 51 tells us that at that moment, at the moment when he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit, at that moment the curtain in the, temple, in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's a very significant statement. The earth shook. The rocks split apart and tombs opened. And if you want super weirdness, look and listen to this. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. What? They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. This is nuts. When Jesus gave up the ghost, when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he gave up his life, And remember, Jesus said that my life cannot be taken from me. I must give it up. And that's why he gave up his spirit. It's finished. And it says that he gave up his spirit. Three things happened. At that second, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. Something only the Holy Spirit could have done. The fact that it was ripped from top to bottom means that nobody snuck in and from bottom to top ripped it that it had to be done in such a supernatural way. And and I'm not going to spend time talking about the the veil in the temple. You know that it was huge, that it, that it was said that horses on each side couldn't rip it. It was impossible to rip. The bottom line is that God, to fulfill Scripture, ripped that thing in two from top to bottom. And why? So that Hebrews 10 could be true. We can boldly enter heaven's holy place because of the blood of Jesus by His death. Jesus opened a new life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us now go right into the presence of God. You see, that curtain separated sinful people and a righteous God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's where once a year the highest priest was allowed to cleanse himself and go in and worship God. He would go in there. This thing ripped wide open. And why? So that we can go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Why do you trust Him? That He won't kill you when you walk in. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This was a statement. When Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, he screams in the most holy place that Israel had that there are no more need for human high priests, no more blood sacrifices, no more religion, and no more priests, no more fear of approaching the throne that was removed when the Holy Spirit ripped that curtain down. And if this morning you are still going to a priest to find God, you are going to the wrong place, go to Jesus. You could boldly approach. That temple veil was ripped in two. Go to God. For too long, and I'm not talking just to Catholics here, for too long evangelicals have gone to pastors to find out what's true. Study for yourself. Study for yourself, know God for yourself, spend time with Him. We have a role in that, but the role is not to tell you truth. It's to guide you down the path and put context to it, to empower you. That's why it was so cool to have leash up this morning. Do you realize that in all this nasty pandemic, we have done our biblical mandate of giving you what you need to minister to your children? If you have not, why have you not? Those of you with teenagers, why have you not been watching the videos with your kids? Why have you not been ministering to your kids? You are teaching them that only professionals train them. It's no wonder that young people today don't read the Scriptures. We don't take them to the Scriptures. You are mom and dad. You are grandma and grandpa. You are aunt and uncle. And no matter if they roll their eyes all day or not, it is your job to disciple your kids because of this moment. We could say all day that we're not like that religion because they take you to the religious body to find truth. But if you are not taking truth to your kids, you are just as bad. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to help you understand that I believe, and we've talked about this as a staff, I believe that we have removed your responsibility by the level of training and professionalism that we have from doing your ordained job. Pastor your children. Pastor your nephews and nieces. Pastor your grandkids. Well, they don't want to hear it. Well, half the time, none of you want to hear it either. Pastor, your kids, the veil in the temple was ripped in two. You do not have to bring them here to train them. You bring them here to be encouraged. In a few weeks, hopefully, we'll all be starting to gather back together, God willing. And I miss it. I miss the singing. I I miss seeing you. I miss watching your faces while I preach. I've I've heard from a lot of you who realize that the more people that come into this room, the longer I preach. That's because I'm watching you. Sorry about that. I know that makes you want to stay home. But the truth is that we're feeding each other. You hold me accountable. We pray for each other. My goodness, don't re-sew the garment. Don't re-sew the curtain. please. I really believe God is doing wonderful things right now, you guys. I do. I believe it. Do I miss everybody being in this room? Yeah, but look what God is doing. You can go directly to the throne room of God. Because of all this, Hebrews 4 14 and 16 is true. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. We've talked about multiple times this morning about things that he experienced on the cross aloneness, pain, fear, the fact that he's worried about his mama. All those things are things he experienced. And because we have a high priest who's been tested with the same things we do, yet he didn't sin, we can boldly go to his throne of gracious God. And there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Run to him. It's personal. And don't run to him alone. Grab your kids by the nap of the neck and take them with you. Please. And for those of you Who are investigating the teachings of Scripture with us, I just want to be clear. Anyone demanding that you go to them before you go to God, they are wrong. You go to God. Two other wild things happened at the time of his death. And one is a huge earthquake take place and And as a result of that, the third thing happens, and it apparently opens the tombs of Old Testament saints that appear to walk the streets. Just a couple things that are very interesting about this in the Greek. Number one, it does not say that their their souls are resurrected. It infers that their bodies are. Yes, zombies. That's all I'm going to say about that. I have no idea what it means. I wasn't there. I don't know. And there are lots of... You can Google it. What do you think about the tombs being opened at the crucifixion of Christ as a, result of the, uh, the, uh, as a result of the earthquake? You'll get tons of theological and doctrinal answers. You know why there's so many answers? Nobody has a clue that wasn't there. What we do know is this. Something happened that was beyond the realm of believability. Why? Because look at what happens in Matthew 27, 54. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. Yeah, that's an understatement. We pick Halloween to find scary things like this. This really happened. And it terrified the Roman officer, the centurion, and the soldiers. It so terrified them, and it was so supernatural, whatever it was, that they actually said to each other, this man really was the Son of God. Something happened that day, after he died, that takes their eye off of the dead man and puts it on everything around. John 19, it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus' so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you can continue to believe. Verse 36. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones were broken. And? they they will look on the one that they pierced. To be clear, up to now we've seen Jesus controlling every moment of this event from a thousand years before. Well, let me be clear. Jesus is now controlling every moment of of this day after his death from 700 years before. You see, this wasn't a a bad day that he just closed his eyes and rode. He was in control, even in his death. Well, that's not possible. None of this is possible. Dead people walking around the streets, Old Testament saints, isn't possible. Earthquakes, sun's not shining. None of that is possible. None of it. Unless you're God. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish religious leaders, He asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, and you remember him. He's the one that Jesus said, you must be born again. With him was Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near the garden where there was a tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I love this part. This is a part I hadn't remembered. Luke 23, verse 55. As the body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where the body was placed. Remember the mourning women? The women who grieved with him? Remember who it lists? Mary's and Martha? The women actually follow and saw the tomb where his body was uh, where his body was placed. Then they went home and they prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by that time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. I just want to side note this for those of you who are Christians. Do you have any idea how must, how hard this must have been for the disciples to write? You know where they are, right? It tells us in the gospels that most of them most of them actually ran for their lives in the, in the to- uh, garden. They've run off. They're all hiding. And it says that they're going to gather in the upper room where they had had the Passover meal together, where they had had the Last Supper. And when they go there, it is clear that in several of the Gospels, they lock the door. Why? Because they think they're next. Now think about this. You know why it would be hard to write? Because these women are incredibly courageous. They had no fear. What they were was mourning the death of somebody that was very dear to them. They didn't seem to worry about their lives. They weren't concerned with that. And that must have been really hard for these disciples to write. I would like to take a moment in light of everything that's gone on the last few years and say, women, I love your walk with God. Lead us well. I think the disciples know full well that they're recording their own shame. It's one of the proofs that it's accurate. Why would anybody write that about themselves if it wasn't true? But these women loved Jesus. And they were willing to put their lives on the line for him. Can I just read you? We're getting close to the end here. I just want to read you Isaiah 53 for a moment. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. (laughs) He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. He was oppressed, treated harshly, yet he never even said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears. he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. I will give him the honors of a a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. That's why Jesus came. Louise, will you put the next verse up there, Romans chapter 12, 1, please? I want you to read it. Seriously, is he not worthy of our lives? He put up with with 33 and a half years of us. Of the disciples running off and hiding and denying him and not praying for him. Of them rebuking him because he was discouraging to the masses. Of hanging on the cross and being mocked. of praying that his father would take it from him and his father saying no. Brothers and sisters, has he not earned the right for us to trust him in this pandemic? With our children? Has he not earned the right for us to declare him Lord and and bow the knee to him? Has he not earned it? We sing in every Christian denomination, we sing songs over and over that scream, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy. I don't think we have any idea what that means. This is what it means. It's not a complicated word. It's not even a religious word. It just means worthy. Worthy of what? Yes. Whatever he asks. Worthy of trusting him with death and life and sickness and health and the government and and the United States of America and our children and our grandchildren. Worthy of trust. He's earned it. Worthy of my worship, worthy of my life, worthy of talking to him every day, worthy of not taking Pastor Mark's word for it and studying it for myself. He's worthy of more than NCIS gets a week out of my week. He's worthy than more attention I give to Joe Biden. Or Rush Limbaugh, or Donald Trump. He's worthy of being the first one I go to when I'm afraid. He's worthy of saying, I'm sorry, sweetheart, it's going to hurt. How bad? Pretty bad. But it'll be over soon. I don't want that. Nobody wants that. But he's worthy of it anyway. He's worthy. And for those of you who don't know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, run to Him. You don't have to have some eloquent Baptist prayer or you don't have to have a Church of Christ baptism. You just got to know you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And He's the only one that can save you. So what do I do? Start by talking to Him. You go to Him. You confess He's Lord and you're not. You acknowledge that he's the only one who can save your rear end. And he will. And then we'll disciple you. Then you jump into the church. But first deal with God. Because the church can't save you. Let's be honest, the church can't save itself. We're in a war right now. Do we meet or do we not meet? You should meet. We're meeting. Oh, we got coronavirus. How stupid are you? We got to stop it. (laughs) We got to walk with Jesus. Satan is taking our eyes off of him. And for those of you on TV, I'm pointing at the Jesus name. Him. Because that guy in the middle, by the way, I don't like the picture, but it worked. He's God. He said he was God. He's the Savior. He's the only one that can save you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to my daddy but through me. Christian. After all he's done for you, is it too much to ask that you offer your lives as a living sacrifice for the Lord? Lord Jesus, very convicting for me this week. I just wish I would have said yes to you. Every day, Mark gets in the way of bowing the knee. So before my family here and those that are watching online, I confess that I, I too often, ah, I, 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 pout. I I want my circumstances the way I want my circumstances, and I get mad that you don't give me the things that I want. I'm sorry. You have earned the right to even ruin my life if you want to. You've earned the right for me to be a living sacrifice, and in there, there'll be joy. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that all of us, Father, as a family of God, would be willing to be a living sacrifice, picking up our cross and following you, putting our selfish ambitions aside, because you are worthy. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. you Have a wonderful Sunday me. afternoon. It's going to be 130 out there. So it's be careful. A melody. You surround me with a soul.
1: I've